0: Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is 623, 2021. And we're ready to begin our worship service. Let's have prayer. Father, thank you for this opportunity to uh, lift your word and to magnify your name. We thank you, Father, for your glorious grace that is ours in this age choosing us before the foundations of the world. We pray for wisdom as we open your word, and we thank you for those who have joined our study. Uh, We're asking that you would look in on each family. Uh, Father, we have certain concerns. One is uh, the Haddon family, and Father, you know what what the issues are. We're praying for them. We're praying for all those families who have lost loved ones, uh, those who are grieving, and in particular Dave, Dave's family. We're also praying for those who are in financial straits. Lord, you we pray for wisdom that they may be able to use their finances uh, in a meaningful way. All this we ask in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. So, all right, we are, or have been studying in Romans chapter 9. Uh, we are, ho- we will hopefully get to Romans 9, I think we're in verses 18 and 19 today. So we'll see how far we get, what we can get. I we got some notes, so, uh, yeah, so Romans 9, 18 and 19, we'll see what we can make of these verses and uh but before we do we do have a little bit of time for some q a so we'll open the floor to whatever your thoughts ideas comments questions uh, the floor is open
1: okay i just have one I remember you mentioned it on Sunday that you said that uh, the sin doesn't reside in the self-structure of the body. Am I correct?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I did say that.
1: So I'm looking at it. Do we reside inside the flesh, the flesh or inside the frame of reference?
0: It, it is part of, when you say the flesh... The flesh is a metaphor for the sin nature, right? So okay. that's the Greek word sarx, flesh. So, and um, but there's also um, sins of the that affect the mind that don't necessarily originate with the body, right? We were talking about sins last week, and I think Fred's question was uh, what about sins that are outside the body okay, what what are those uh, and then if you look at the context there you see that he's you know the context is with reference to sexual sins in particular sexual sins so sins outside the body would be other sins that are not sexual in nature that don't necessarily have their expression through the body as uh, sexual sins do. So, um, I I probably, and I made the comment that some believe that uh, the sin nature resides in the cell structure of the body. And, sure, the sin nature has used the body. The sin nature is a part of the human nature. I think it's invisible. I don't think it is something that is material, per se. I think it is just like if we think about the soul. Where is the soul? Is it does the soul reside in the cell structure of the body? No. Where is the spirit? Does the spirit reside in the soul cell structure of the body? No. I would I would say no. It does not. So where is the? If we if we to look at well what is the, the nature of man? Does the nature reside in the cell structure of the body, is is, or is it reside with the soul? I think the nature resides with the soul, not necessarily the flesh, the body. The soul has its has its expression through the body. In other words, we are given the body to uh, to navigate the environment that we live in. So, we have a soul, and the soul uses the body to be able to understand and navigate this environment, Earth. So, this body that we have is equipped for where we are. So, for instance, if you go and take this body to outer space... And try to breathe air. And live out there. That would not be possible. So. The body is not fit for. Outer space. The body is fit for this earth. The soul. Has expression through the body. That's how we can relate to this world. So we have five. I know there may be. More than five senses. But there's five senses. We can touch, taste, smell. And I always mess one up. But. But through those senses, what we we can see from that is n- how we can perceive this world and touch, taste, feel, right? All those with a soul that does not have a body cannot uh, navigate through this world. So, so the sin nature is a part of the soul more so than it is the body. So, so for instance, what happens is with the baptism of the Spirit, uh, your soul and spirit are set free from the sin nature. Sin nature is no longer our nature anymore. And it resides what they call the old man. So, the old ways that the sin nature deceived us into thinking that we were under its power, and that's what was really happening. The deception of the sin nature is to to try to deceive us into thinking that um, we still have uh, to be obedient to sin and we don't. So, but I'll pause and see if if I am uh, focused on what your question is or or do I need to uh, continue? Yes, I just
1: have some minor thoughts on it because I always been well, I always under his ministry, was saying that uh, when we die physically, it does nature will leave. So uh, that's why I said
0: the flesh. Hmm. So the nature we have is—is is it only the flesh? Is that what you're saying? Or no? What I know what the teaching well, is.
1: Like right your 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 frame of reference, like right your your thinking. Yeah.
0: And, and I took those scriptures where it talks about our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Right? And this is what we were talking about. So if our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, uh, obviously we can. Hear, now there is a scripture we didn't cover last week when we were talking about this, but that's 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 18. No, 17. So, if it, well, well, let's go back. Okay, so yeah, 16. Do, do you not know you yourselves are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in your midst? It should be within you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. So, um... Uh, There's a scripture that talks about us belonging to God. God has the right to do what he wants to do with us. But it's a unique situation that we are living in because not only are we the temple of God, and our bodies are temples, the temple of God's habitation, and the body is meant for God. We should honor God with our bodies. But not only is that all true, but God has the right to destroy the temple if we defile the temple and now who there's no scripture that says exactly how much or how much what we do exactly but it, it is up to God to decide whether or not that type of discipline will be necessary and obviously it's a type of discipline and it comes right after the scripture of 15 where it says, if it is burned up, the builder will, will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though one is escaping through the flames. So from, from the context there in 15, we know it's not a reference to us losing salvation. Um, and then he, he goes into this point about we are the temple of God and God's spirit dwells in our midst. So if anyone destroys a temple, God will destroy that person. God's temple is sacred. And you together are that temple. So, I, in terms of who we are, my feeling on the sin nature residing in the cell structure of our bodies is the fact that uh, the sin nature is like the soul. It is a spirit that uh, influences us, just like um, like it says, don't be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, the interesting thing is when you're drunk with wine, the sin nature clearly has influence over your body. It, it is manifested in, in the worst ways. So, um, but but the same body, if the body is sinful, if the body is sinful, I don't know how God would use the body uh, and for us to perform good works. Uh, so, from from that standpoint, uh, when you look at the Old Testament, and we go to Romans, chapter 7. So there's a couple scriptures there. It says, um, how about verse 5? For when we were For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. So now, if you think about that bearing fruit for death, this is the good works that people did in the Old Testament. They really were not good works. God allowed it because Christ hadn't come. But then he continues in verse 6 but now dying to what once bound us we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code and what's interesting is uh, we have been set free from the sin nature the sin nature is no longer our nature anymore so we inherit the fallen nature of Adam Um, I just think it's it's, it could be debatable, but uh, in my opinion, the sin nature is an invisible entity, spirit, we could say, that, that is attached to Adam's fallen nature. So God gives us, he imputes to us, he allows that spirit to be imputed to us upon birth so that the sin nature becomes our nature. Now it's not just our nature; it's that we inherit Adam's nature, which is which happens to be fallen nature. Now, can we say that nature is what resides in the cell structure of the body? I don't know. I think no. I think our nature is part of our soul that God has given us. It makes us human, and uh, so those are some those are the reasons. I'm repeating myself now. I think so. I pause. Other thoughts out there? Other questions? All right. So it sounds like we have arrived at a place. We're good. Going once.
2: Going. Just to to, to get back to the nature a little bit in regards to um, we talk about the old sin nature we're, we're talking about that we that which we've inherited from Adam yes uh, so I may have missed something but are we saying that it's in our thinking or is it, is it something that we can be persuaded to do uh, we know that Anything that's against God or a lot of faith is sense. So how do we distinguish that it's not part of our cell structure, not something that is internally within us? Um, how do we distinguish what where, where it came from? As like we know that we inherit is an inheritance and we're saying that it's not in our DNA, it's not in our genetics. And where, where do
0: we look at it tangibly? Well, I mean, there's a couple ways to think about it. I mean, uh, I'm this is just my thought based on what I'm led to understand. So here's the thought. If you read Ephesians chapter 2, and it talks about uh, we were dead in our transgressions and sins in which we used to live when we followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit was now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. So, following its desires and thoughts, how do we gratify the cravings of our flesh? Well, it, it approaches us through our desires and thoughts like the rest we were by nature deserving of wrath so all of us are so if we're looking at the actual sin remember you could think just use your mind to think it has nothing to really do and thinking is invisible thoughts are invisible now god happens to know the heart right so man looks at the outward appearance what 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 can be seen but that's not good enough for God. He looks at the heart. So when you look at the heart, you can't really say the heart is what the soul The soul has. Uh, that's the seat of the soul. It's what the motivations of the soul are, the heart. And it is not in the cell structure of your brain, per se. It is in your thoughts, and thoughts are invisible. They're not tangible, uh, from but they can control us. Just like we talked about, uh, the sin nature is an influence over us. So it uses the body for sure. There's, there's no doubt about it. Even as we already said, the, the, there's a metaphor, and it's the flesh. Right? So I, I'm not saying that it doesn't. Use the body. It definitely uses the body. However, it is generated, in my opinion, from our uh, an invisible nature that we have. That we it, It's part of our soul. So when the baptism of the Spirit happens to us, it frees us from the domination of that nature, that, that fallen nature that came from Adam, It frees us from that, and it doesn't. But there's no physical thing that happens in the body. It it is a positional thing that happens, and God sees it as reality. God sees spiritual uh, insight as as opposed to what we can see. So, and it's so these this here this verse. Three talks about desires and thoughts like the rest we were by nature deserving of wrath so all of this is what the sin nature would have influence it had dominance over us but through the baptism of the spirit we are freed from the dominance of the sin nature and we don't have to obey it we can literally say no to the sin nature now I know we could say okay we're going to be under the filling of the spirit and we could say no to the sin nature, but if the sin nature is in the cell structure of our body, it, there are two ways the sin nature can deceive us. It is, it, it, it deceives us from uh, what we would consider the old man, meaning we're used to the ways of the sin nature. It has used us in such ways that it is there are certain trends that we have because we have been given to sin for so long. We were born in sin. We were, this was our way of life. This is the only experience we've had. So we naturally sin because that is part of our fallen nature. That's all we know. But then as we, we grow in grace and come, we, first we have to be saved and grow in grace, we come to know a new way. And that new way is of the Spirit. So it doesn't mean that the sin nature is eradicated from us at this point. The sin nature used the body prior to this. Now God is saying he can use the body. So this is what what Romans says. Romans 6. So it says, um, in the same way, this is verse 11, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so think about it is sin your mortal body or is sin something that seeks to gain rulership over your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. So sin, when it says sin in the singular in Romans 6 here, it's talking about the sin nature. So let's read it again. Therefore, do not let the sin nature reign in your mortal body. So you have a choice. So your body is just something that, a receptacle that can be used by the sin nature just as God the Holy Spirit can use your body now that you're saved, so that you obey its evil desires. I and mean, look at this. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. Now, who who's in control of that? You are. Your body is it's not evil. It is, it is the sin nature that seeks to control your body that was your way but now there's difference but rather now look at this offer yourselves to god as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness look at that that's what we can do now as opposed to people who were under the domination of the sin nature so those who have been brought from death to life we have that's us that's through the baptism of the spirit So what then? Shall we sin? Because we are not... And it goes on. There's much more to say. If you think about these verses, don't just read them. Really think about what they're saying. It seems to me that the sin nature is not a part of the body. The sin nature is separate from the body, which has has its expression through the body. That's how I, I would say it. I will pause.
1: Okay, I understand that, you know, I really do it took me a while, Um, you know, thinking through that. I know the person said that the city is, is hostile to God, it cannot submit to God, nor
0: don't do so? Yes, that's right, so, it,
1: it's, that's Romans 8. Is
0: that in Roman also? It's Romans 8, right?
1: Yes. Okay. Yeah.
0: So
1: that's what I was thinking about. I know at this moment of our physical birth, when we we're born, God creates... Uh, Stolen, and He gave us the breath of life, but also we also get out with Adam's original sin nature. I was just, you know, I was, just, I was hearing that it was just, it was in a soul structure, but then you, we mentioned too many people last week, and I said, wait a minute, it must be in the flesh, or it could be in your prayer of reference. I know we can't see it. I just want to find out where was it at. So I hear I you. I had that, that question.
0: That's a good question. Thank you. I appreciate it. And. I'm I'm open to hear other points of view, and I'm not saying that. Uh, and I understand. I was the re- only reason I can say I don't believe that now is because I used to believe that, and I thought about it, and this is the way I've I've come down. Um, so I'm not saying I have some superior knowledge here. I mean, if I think it, it's not one of those points that. As long as you understand what the sin nature is and does, I think it's okay either way. But uh, I think it's more accurate to say, especially the scriptures, that God this bo- this body that we have belongs to God, although uh, it was purchased, it was redeemed from the slave market of sin. So, we so what do we what do we do now? We are, we can honor God. With our bodies, that's what we can do now. We can honor God, as opposed to um, allowing sin to rule over us. So, so yeah, I mean, it's that's my feeling. That's how it's, and I'd like to hear other, other's opinions as well. I mean, you know, it's not uh, not one Good of those evening, things.
2: Everybody. Hey, Good okay. and uh, well. I, I have listened and I, I heard some of this last week and uh, I, I don't understand how you're born in sin and shaping an iniquity as a baby uh, who Lord give to spark a light to and who can't make any decisions. So at that point where the sin nature, dwells in the sin nature is that, I mean in, in the cell
0: structure is that correct? so we're born in sin which is a reference to the fact that every person born in Adam is born with a fallen nature because of what Adam did right? okay So is yes, na- I understand
2: so is but it- I'm saying at that point when they're born where does
0: the sin nature reside in their body, the baby? The sin nature doesn't necessarily... Yeah, yeah. So the sin nature doesn't reside in the cell structure of the body. The sin nature resides in the soul. It's part of the soul. So the souls that we have, even though they're perfect from the hand of God because he created them, it this, and what is the sin nature? I think we're covering some of that today. What exactly is the sin nature? It is the spirit of rebellion. So when Adam sinned, there was nothing that happened in the cell structure of his body. It was an act of disobedience. That's what it was. It was so, so that spirit of rebellion, that's what the sin nature is. It is literally a spirit of rebellion is passed down to every person that was born in Adam. He is the progenitor of the human race, Adam was. Just like Christ is the progenitor of the new spiritual, the new creation. Christ is the progenitor of the new creation. We, if, if any man is in Christ, he's, he's something different. So, with Adam, all the characteristics, <clears throat> properties, and principles of Adam are passed down. Not only... Is the invisible qualities of human beings passed down. Like when you have a soul, where is that, right? That's invisible. You can't see your soul. Where's your spirit? You can't see it. So, but you have, these are entities within us that we actually have, but they're invisible. I am contending. They belong to us. They're ours. I am contending that the sin nature is also an invisible entity that rules over our souls. And when I say it rules over us, it starts from the very beginning, the moment we're born. The sin nature has uh, the rule over us. And what is that rule? What is essentially happening? Each of us has the spirit of rebellion against God. When God, God speaks or... We don't know God. We're separated from God, and we hate God. <laughs> it doesn't sound like. Uh, it, well, that's the bad news, right? We hate God literally. When we're born, from the from birth. So, so when we say the sin nature sin nature resides in the cell structure, if we say well, the sin nature resides in the cell structure of the body, then it would it would just say that it is the body that is the culprit but it is the spirit of adam that is passed down to everybody and i think it's an invisible spirit that is rules over our soul it is an invisible entity just like the soul is and all that the way it can express itself is seen by what we would call sin in the human race so uh there's a lot of uh one scripture is Colossians three is it Colossians I think so uh so it says uh you used to walk in these ways uh here it is. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your, here it is, your earthly nature. Okay, so put to death whatever belongs to your, this is Colossians 3, 5, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. What, What are some of the things that belong to your earthly nature? Sexual immorality impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off the old self with its practices, and I put on the new self, which is being renewed and the an image of its creator. So those are just some scriptures that talk about the sin nature and how it has a rule over us, but no longer does it have the rule. So what's the difference between what happened before and how we used to walk in those ways and what happens now? That's the baptism of the Spirit. And the baptism of the Spirit did not affect our bodies at all baptism of spirit affects our soul we are taken out of Adam our soul is taken out of Adam and leaves the sin nature behind and is united to the person of Christ our soul is so it is it is we still are the same bodies we still have the same bodies that we had before salvation um, that we have after salvation so anyway th- more could be said but I'll pause
2: I got it I uh, I, I thought that you, I don't know I thought you, you were saying somehow that at birth they were in the cell structure and then uh, after you received yes you are saved and received this, the Holy Spirit baptism of the Spirit but I was, that was incorrect. So I got it, which is exactly what you're saying. In this scripture, in Colossians 3, 5, uh, I, I don't know. Uh, in other words, you, there's no way you can cut out something in your body, put to death. These are, are, are sins of, like you say, uh, rebellion against God, uh, earthly nature, your sexual immorality impurity loves evil so i see it clearly what you're saying exactly
0: so yeah i appreciate that and remember romans 7 5 and 7 6 well when we were in the realm of the flesh the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work within us so that we bore fruit to death for death but now dying to that which once bound us We have been released from the law that we serve in a new way. So what's different? The baptism of the Spirit there. And notice the differences. Well, one, when the sin nature was dominating us, meaning controlled over our soul, we couldn't produce good works. After the baptism of the Spirit, we are now able to produce good works. I mean, literally, that is Romans seven five and seven six. I'm not saying that's the answer to everything, but I'm saying that's an amazing thought. That all the people in the Old Testament, all of them, none of them were able to please God. God was patient with them. He allowed them to function, and, and, and because it was according to His law, right? That they, he, but He they were, the sin nature ruled, he, he was talking to a people that the sin nature ruled over. Even though, you know, he set them apart, some of them were saved. Even though they were saved, the sin nature still ruled over their souls. So this is why Paul can write this, so that we bore fruit to death. But now we serve in the new way of spirit and the spirit and not the old way of the written code. And we are bearing fruit for life. And that's so. Here, here is Hebrews ten. The law was only a shadow of good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worship would worshippers would have been cleansed once for all, and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. Those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, Christ came in the world sacrifice. So what this is saying, literally, is that God allowed these people a system of worship, even though they were still dominated by their sin natures. For the first time in human history, Man is able to do good works that God considers good. That God says, now that's good. That's divine good. That's the first time that happened. God did it. So, we still are in the same bodies we were in before. God didn't give us resurrection bodies in order for us to accomplish this purpose. We are able to perform divine good right now. Right where we sit. So just like he says in Romans, the same bodies that we use uh, for evil, he's now saying, take those same bodies and use those members for divine good. That's what he's saying, for divine good. We can do it. And those good works count. Because guess what will happen? At the judgment seat of Christ, we will be rewarded for those works. It's not like the Old Testament. Where God says, well, you know, I did this, you know, um, I really weren't, he says, I really wasn't pleased by those. Uh, How does it say that? It says, sacrifice, here it is. Let me see, there's a scripture that literally says that God was not pleased by, but he he said, do it because, you know, here it is, I think. Those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible blood of bulls and goats take away sins. Therefore, God came in the world. Here, here it is, verse 6. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, here it is, you were not pleased. But they were done according to God's will. That's why he allowed them to be, he allowed propitiation. Same thing in Romans 3, where it says uh Christ is the propitiation for the sins that are past. So God held those sins in abeyance until he Christ came on the cross because uh, whatever was happening in the Old Testament was only type and shadow. It was not the reality of good of the things that are coming. So when so right when this happened for us to me that's profound. We can literally do Good works. I will pause.
1: All right. Thanks for, you know, asking my, my question. Because I know David, he said it was one of the songs the same, almost the same, you know, thing though, but he was born, you know. Yeah. So, um, I know we'll get to Romans though, so I don't want to just, you know, I know the question I asked, but I, I want to get to Romans too, okay?
0: I hear you. So we can head on to Romans, uh, we can continue to talk more about this. This is not the end. And this is why, you know, we talk, more things get to come out. You know, we get to look at more scriptures. So, but anyway, we have some scriptures in Romans tonight. Let's see if we can dig in. Um, so you have notes, Romans nine eighteen and 19 says, So then he has mercy on whomever he wills. And he hardens whoever, whomever he wills. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? And we're going to get, um, as we, we have been covering this, well, what we need to make sure we get from this is making sure that we stick with the context. And, I, I, well, I can just read the caption here. You might say that we learned about Pharaoh and the context. True, but we learn more about God. Knowing how God worked to accomplish his purposes is valuable to us. We already know that Israel was born out of God's will and power, and we are seeing how God used every means available to him. We would not think God would use Pharaoh, or Joseph's brothers, or even Judas, but that is exactly what we see. We have to say that that's so. He did use them. Now, of course, did he did he make them do the things he, that they did? The answer is no. He really didn't. He he enforced, exerted his will. That's what he did in certain cases. And God knew what was going to happen. So we're going to get into it. Let's dig in a little bit. So point point one is the first phrase. So then he has mercy. On whomever he wills, he has mercy on whomever he wills. I mean, we're going to see what that means. So then, certainly, this is when we get to this so then, that's two words in the Greek which I didn't actually put in there, but this is some the, the gist of what the, those two words mean. Accordingly. And so certainly, so truly, uh, or, or but now then, uh, so likewise then, then therefore, these are words that literally glue us to the context. So when we read about Pharaoh, and first of all, God calling Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the particular ways that he did that, then he continues with the thought of Pharaoh. How Pharaoh, and was used in a way to bring forth God's holy nation with power and sovereignty you must say and this is what God says to Pharaoh for I raised you up for this very purpose that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth God said Pharaoh I see you're going to be you're not going to let the people go I understand that's your will it's your choice however because your 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 heart is is never going to comply with my will i will make an example out of you and it's god's choice to do so so that's what he did so point b so then confirmed that god is using pharaoh to accomplish his purposes i mean d- did he say it yes he literally said it in verse romans 9:17 he says, for, for this reason, right? I raised you up for this very purpose. It's God using Pharaoh? Absolutely. Yes, he is. He's doing it for his purposes, to accomplish. What is, what is being accomplished here? Salvation? No. It's not salvation at all. What's being accomplished here is the formation of the nation Israel. I mean, that... That's what God's trying to do, from from all the stuff that uh, we have been going in the Old Testament, all the way back. If you go back to God saying how great Israel is, and the first Paul uh, saying through uh, God is saying through the Apostle Paul how great Israel was in the beginning of Nine, but then he gets into the real thought of it, and that is that God chose the patriarchs, and. But not just that he mentions that, but he goes into the details of how in Isaac sh- shall the seed be named, and 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 then Jacob over Esau, and and how it was his choice, his desire on each occasion that he direct the patriarchs through certain individuals, and that was God's choice to do it. It was only God's choice to do it. We are forming his nation. He gets to do it the way he wants to do it. So then he comes up to Pharaoh. This is all in the context. He says, yep, Pharaoh, you also play a role in the nation Israel because through your resistance, I'm able to display not only my will over your will, but my power over your power. So... God did use Pharaoh, and he said as much before Pharaoh even did anything or said anything or even knew that God wanted to release the Israelites. God said, he's not going to listen to you. You guys are going to go talk to him. Here's how it's going to go down. You guys are going to talk to him. He's not going to hear a word you say. He's going to go through these things, and I will have to send plagues and so forth. God already knew it from the very beginning how it was going to turn out. And since he knew it, he took the liberty of displaying his power to extricate Israel from the most powerful nation on earth. So that's how we can see it. Point C. What purposes? What, what, what was God doing? Establishing Israel as a nation before him. So why do I put all this stuff? I know I'm saying it. And then you say, well, yeah, Doug, didn't you just say that? Well, the reason I'm saying that is, it's not only just saying it, but it's the documentation for it, right? So if you want to go back and read the notes and say, well, what did we talk about? What was going on? What were," You're not going to remember what I said. It's going to be hazy to you. But when you look at these notes, guess what's going to happen? You're going to say, oh, yep, that's right. I remember we talked about Israel. It's about that. And listen, we've been, I could even say I've been preaching it because in the old sense of the word. So it's the nation Israel. Point D. Recall, this is God's response to Moses. Well, what is his response to Moses? So then he, will, he has mercy on whomever he, ha- he wills. Right, and this is God's response to Moses' question. Uh, this is what Moses said after uh, Moses Moses established, established that he found favor in God's eyes. He he went back and forth with God enough. He said, "Well, okay, so obviously I find favor. You 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 are pleased with me. So let me ask you a question." And he did that in Exodus thirty three eighteen, and we covered that. But guess what God's answer really was to Moses? No. By him saying, I have mercy on whomever he wills. He has mercy on whomever he wills, is saying to Moses, no, Moses, you cannot see. I can't show you my glory. And he worked it out so he could show Moses something, but he did not show Moses his glory. What Moses was asking. So we, we spoke about this, and we showed how we, in this age, are recipients of what Moses was asking of God. We are. So God is saying to Moses, God, Moses you, that's, he didn't tell Moses why. He didn't say anything about, no hint about, why well, you know, there's going to be a church age later on, and, and then I will do this. He didn't say anything. He just said, no, Moses, I, and it's up to me to choose who I want to choose for that purpose. We are in the position of which Moses spoke of. God said no to Moses and all of Israel could not attain to. In fact, the mystery is hidden from Israel, hid in God, but now at this time it is revealed to those for whom it pertains—that is us, the Church Age. So, we read in Hebrews, which says, uh, "Christ is." In the past, God spoke in various ways, and let's read that real quick. I know it's not in your notes, but I just want you to see something here. Hebrews chapter one, it says, "In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets." At many times and in various ways. But in these last days, that's since the, 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 the emergence of the sun, that is, since these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. Also, he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. See, that's literally what Moses was asking. Can I see that? The exact representation of his being. So Moses is treading up the mountain, going down to the people, going back up to the mountain, going down to the people. So finally Moses said, Can I see you? I mean, straight up. I mean, all this manifestation, the smoke, the lightning, the thunder, the peels of thunder. Can I just see who you are? Straight up. God said, No, can't. It's not for you. So So it says... The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of of the majesty in heaven. So that's, and now when we are saved, what happens? We are raised and seated with him in the heavenly realms. That's where we are, positionally, right now. That's where our souls are. We, we literally have presence in the divine. So let's continue. So that's the first point, point number two, let's keep going. And he hardens whomever he will. So there's mercy on whomever he has whoever he wills. In other words, having mercy is akin to election. God elected Israel for a different purpose. When he elected the church, it included all those things that we just talked about. So point number two, he also says he hardens whomever he wills. who, In other words, he wants to. From God's perspective, this is point A, his hardening of the heart is the effect of him exerting his will and the effect his will has on those who reject his choices. So when God showed up and told Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh had to make some choices. And that's how uh, his God knew Pharaoh would say, absolutely not. He, Pharaoh wouldn't, wouldn't just say no. He would say, absolutely no. May it never be. I would never even allow that. So point B, some examples of how this is used in scripture. Here we're going to go fast. So hold on to your seat. The first one is Proverbs 28 and 14. Okay, Proverbs 28 and 14. How is this hardening used in scripture? Let's just see. There's a couple of scriptures I want to point to. Blessed is the one who always trembles before God, but whoever hardens their heart falls into trouble. So notice there's some opposites here, right? So there are some synonyms. Well, not synonyms. These, these are the opposite. So, the one who trembles before God, in other words, who has humility, trembles at his word, trembles before God. But whoever hardens their heart, meaning, means they resist God, they fall into trouble. Uh, also, Exodus 4.21, I told you we're going to go quickly. Exodus 4 and 21 says, The Lord said to Moses, When you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. So what is he saying? He's saying when Moses said, hey, you know, let my people go, Pharaoh would resist that. He knew it. And he knew that him asking Pharaoh to let, his people go, would turn Pharaoh's heart against God. Pharaoh would not tremble at his word. Pharaoh would not tremble before God. Pharaoh thought he was God. Pharaoh was arrogant and said, no way is that going to be possible. Exodus, four, Exodus 7, 3 and 4, which we covered. but But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, listen, he will not listen to you. They will, they will, then I will lay my hand on Egypt and, and with mighty acts of judgment I will bring out my divisions, his divisions or his sons, my people, the Israelites, the sons and all of their families, their generations. And they prospered in, in Egypt and flourished and grew in number. So this is, this is the thought. So, so that's one of the scriptures. And then 14.4, we're going to go here, 14.4. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And he will, pursue, he will pursue them. This is after he let them go. And he knew that Pharaoh would think about what God said and turn against God. But I will gain glory for myself. This is what God is saying. Through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. So, so notice, this is after they left and they were going, getting ready to go through the Red Sea and so forth. So, and then Psalm 95, oh, 14, 4, and then 17. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. This is into the Red Sea. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and his army through the chariots and his horsemen. So when God says he gained glory, he's not just saying, yeah, I will win the battle. He's saying, my power, my strength, my name is going to be magnified throughout the world as a result of me extricating these people from the, the grip, the bonds of slavery. So, so then, we're, Psalm 95, verse 8. Psalm 95... A whole lot of psalms here. Verse 8, do not harden your hearts as you did in or at Meribah, as you did that day at Massah in the wilderness. Now this is where um, the Israelites were, were actually tasked with... Um, uh, going in the promised land and they literally said no to god they they turned against god now so listen hardening the heart is what they did now did god know they were going to do it absolutely he did but he punished them for it too so notice the hardened the heart is not just by people who are unbelievers but it's the children of israel and then he says verse 10 for 40 years i was angry with that generation 40 years i said they are a people whose hearts go astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger. They shall never enter my rest. So God is saying that Israel literally turned against God. I mean, but that's not the first time. That's just literally one of many times. Every t- Even before they crossed the Red Sea. When they got into like between the Red Sea and the, and the Pharaoh's army, they were saying then, oh my gosh, wouldn't it have been better if we could have just stayed in Egypt? I mean, you brought us out here to get slaughtered by Pharaoh's army? Literally, they said that before they even got across the Red Sea. So, it was a problem. And then Hebrews, Hebrews is where I think we were quoting uh, earlier in the psalm, I'll just read it. Hebrews 3, uh, 8 and through 19, Hebrews 3. More about hardening the heart. What does it mean? Um, Do not harden your heart as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness when your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. In other words, they all died in the wilderness. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So this is true of... Those Israelites, it was also true of Pharaoh. He did not care who God was. So I declared an oath of my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart. Notice what it takes to have a hard heart. Sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Literally, God was showing them who he was through signs, wonders, and miracles, and they didn't care. They were like, never mind. And this is literally what happened in the time of Christ, where not only did Christ do signs, wonders, miraculous things, but finally when he raised Lazarus, right, he, he brought him back from death. Uh, you know what they said? Now we've got to kill this guy. That's what we've got to do. We've got to kill him now. Talk about sin and a hardened heart. I mean, that was disastrous for them. Okay, we're going to keep going because I know where our time is moving forward. Point C. The essence of the, of the original sin is rebellion. Here it is. The essence of the original sin is rebellion against God's will. Literally, that's what it is. <clears throat> Adam chose to rebel against God. That rebellious nature comes from Satan. It is patterned after Satan. And when we say it comes from Satan, well, John 8:40 40 through 47, we will quickly go through some of those verses where Jesus is in a skirmish with these Pharisees. So 40 through 47, he says, "As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your father." We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God and have come on my own. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, and there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So Satan's heart is certainly hard, <laughs> and, and our sin nature. Satan has direct influence over us through our sin nature. That's how is one way Satan, uh, you know, through through the fall. When Adam fell, he gained access to each person who has a sin nature. Well, it says we follow the ruler of this air, our thoughts and desires, all of that we read in Ephesians 2. So then there's 1 John 3, 12. There's the spirit of rebellion we were talking about. 1 John 3 and 12 says, Do not be like Cain, who belong to the evil one, and murdered his brother. So. Uh, and why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil. And his brothers were righteous. He's talking about when they offered. Uh, the sacrifices to God. That's So Cain decided he would murder his brother. Notice it wasn't like Cain. Cain's own thought. He was motivated by Satan. To murder his brother. So. It, His heart was turned against God. We'll continue. Point D. The sin nature is naturally rebellious. It is not something that we should say uh, is acquiescent to God. The sin nature is rebellious. It protests. But God uses some rebellion. When I say some rebellion, he chooses who he wants to use. He didn't use... Uh, others he could have used he used he chose the ones he wanted he says, for this reason I, i'm calling you pharaoh so god uses some rebellion to his own ends that is how it works now we think about that same principle we see it in romans chapter 5 i'm going to romans chapter 5 20 and 21 so here it is that same principle says the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase but where sin increased grace increased all the more so that just as sin reigned in death so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our lord so think about what what is said there in point d think about what is said saying that god uses the rebelliousness of the sin nature to show or to contrast his righteous righteousness, glory, and power. Literally, he says, Yeah, well, sin, the, the more, when I introduced the law, that inflamed the sin nature. That swelled the sin nature. Now, did God know it was going to do that? Yes, he understood that. But so that seven, we'll go to seven, here it is. Here is saying it another way. 7.13 Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin by people who are sinners, it, was, it is used, it used what is good to bring about my death. So Paul is saying, because of the law, when he finally understood the right purpose of the law, the, the Spirit was able to apply the, the law to Paul's heart, Paul realized the commandment. So so through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. So f- through Pharaoh's resistance of God, right, God was able to demonstrate his power through Pharaoh. And seeing that contrast is very visible and h- helps people realize who God is, and make decisions for God. So it it glorifies God. Point E. Point E. God showed up, here's how it happened, God showed up and confronted Pharaoh, which demanded that he decide. And what was at issue? Let my people go. Knowing that would harden Pharaoh's heart against God's will. He knew it. There wasn't any question about it. Couple of scriptures in this regard Genesis 37, 18 through 20, all the way back to Genesis. We're, we're jumping around a lot tonight. 37, 18. It says, But they saw him in a distance, and before he reached them, they they plotted to kill him. So they're talking about Joseph's brothers, right? They saw Joseph coming in di- at a distance, and before Joseph reached them, they said, Yeah, here comes that Joseph. Here comes that Joseph. And you know what? Let's get rid of him. We hate him. I mean, he's... And listen to what they said in verse 19. Here comes a dreamer. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Oh, they must have hated him. Come now, let us kill him and throw him in one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Notice... <laughs> They were mocking his dreams. They're like, yeah, right. You saw that? Oh, and, and, and we are bowing down to you? Oh, really? Is that how it works? Boy, and they were so... And, and Joseph, who was... Uh, I mean, Jacob, who was the father, loved Joseph. He just loved him so much. He, he did things special for him. It created a rift between uh, Joseph and the other kids. So, so this is plotting. I mean, literally, God allowed this. God could have said, hold on, that's Joseph. What are you doing? You can't kill Joseph. I'm going to create i I'm going to perform a miracle and protect Joseph. Nope, that's not what happened. God knew that this is what they were going to do. And what did he do? He used it for his own glory, right? For his own purposes. The then known world at the time, God eventually saved through Joseph. And so if you go to 50, Genesis 50 and verse 20, I know all of you already know these verses, but it's just good reading them again. 19, but Joseph said to them, don't be afraid, I am in the place of God. Joseph finally understood why he went through all of those things in his life. Why his brothers treated him so bad. He, he even understood that, wait a minute, don't, I know, verse 20, You intended to harm me. I know you did. That was what was in your heart. But he said, God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Do you know, through that, God saved many people. I believe through, just like we talk about, go ahead and feed the the poor. We give them something to eat. And what happens now? They're able to listen to us. So the God of Israel, the God who was able to perform miracles, signs and wonders through Joseph, through these small band of people called the Israelites, were indeed glorified. God was glorified through this incident. And we have this incident in scripture to remind us of the providence of God and how he knows all things. He knows the end from the beginning. But he is able to use them for his own glory. So, I know we're getting down um, to it. So, what we'll do is we're going to cover this last phrase. You will say to, to me then, Why does he f- still find fault? For who can resist his will? We'll cover that next week. No no rush. But I wanted to make sure we understood how God is able to use man's free will. And I think one of the points that is going to be brought out is, look, God doesn't have to look very far. All of us resist his will from birth. God can find many examples of how his will prevails. He's sovereign, and he's the only God, the true God, the one God. He has many ways that he demonstrates that in human history so what we have i mean is to look at how and know that that's what god is doing ultimately how does all of this tie in we want to make sure we understand that god is saying to the to israel that he can do what he wants when he talks about he hardens whomever he wills, he has mercy on whomever he wills, well, he's had mercy on the church. And we are, we are in a position that God has called us to, not of our own choosing, but by God himself choosing us. Now, Israel could be saying, you know, we're jealous. That's possible. But Israel, who the very ones who are saying that, could have been in the church by just simply believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's all they had to do. And they could have been in the church. Paul said it as much in Romans chapter 11. This is what he said. He says, um, he says I ask then, this is one, did God reject his people? Now that's really blasphemous to say. That God would even think that it is, that it is possible that he would reject his people. Paul says... By no means, but then he says, "I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham, from the tribe of Benjamin." So God did not reject His people, whom He foreknew. Don't you know what the Scripture says about Isaiah or e- Elijah, how he appealed uh, to God against Israel? And then it goes, Paul is saying, "Look, he's in the church, but guess what? He's, he he was an Israelite." God did not reject him. Paul had every opportunity, and he took that opportunity and believed in Christ, and now Paul is part of the church. God does not have a plan to reject Israel. Not only can Israel be saved in this time where uh, the church is being, many sons are being called out into glory, Israel has an opportunity to take part in that right now. That's what Paul is literally saying. Well, God didn't reject his people. And then, we know that God is going to continue to work with Israel. And they will fulfill their purpose, even after all of this is said and done. So, no, God has not rejected his people, which he foreknew. God has a plan for Israel. They will fulfill his plan. And we can look all the way through Revelation, all the way to the end. And not only that, we can see That Israel plays a part in the eternal state. Continues to play a part. Continues to have a role and a purpose for God. We are going to close. And at this point, I know we have reached our time. But we'll continue with the thoughts next week. uh, Some important thoughts. uh, But the more I read these thoughts, I don't want us to overestimate the importance because of how people have used these verses incorrectly I want us to focus more so on what is the actual uh, context and what is the point that Paul is trying to make through these verses let's bow our heads. thank you Father for you have given us information detail explanation and we thank you for honest face-to-face talk so that we can understand your plan, purpose, and will even better. It helps us to come to know you better, that we delve into how you dealt with Israel, how you have called the church, what, how dispensations work, how you are ruling over the church at this particular time. We're, we're grateful, and we pray for Israel tonight. We pray for those who are in their heart rejecting Christ and knowing that they could have a seat at the table right now by just simply believing in him. They will be seated in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Father, we pray for their salvation, just like Paul did in Romans 10. All this we ask in Christ's name and for his sake.
2: Amen. Amen.
1: Amen. Amen. Amen, amen.